Hi coaches, it's Whitney from the Get the Pancake podcast. This week's episode is a continuation of last week's episode in which I was answering questions submitted to Get the Pancake through Instagram stories. And I got so many good questions that I wasn't able to get through all of the ones that I thought would benefit the most listeners. I'm still not gonna be able to get through every question submitted, but I'm going to take those into account when I'm creating future resources for coaches. So just because I don't answer your question either in last week's episode or this week's episode, be on the lookout for resources coming your way. Okay, so we've got a long list of questions to get through today. So let's just go ahead and jump into it. Okay, we're going to tackle our first question now, which was submitted. The question is, how do you motivate players? to talk, to encourage each other, to play hard, etc. This is a challenging question. We're just going to start with a hard one right from the beginning. Um, but I think it can be broken down into very simple concepts. So why do you play volleyball? Why do you play any sport? In my opinion, you want to play sports because they're one, fun, and two, because you're around people that you enjoy being around. So what makes a sport fun? It's fun to be doing something that you are good at, that you feel like you're constantly growing in, and to have a certain level of mastery and control over the flow of the game because of your skill level. In my opinion, players need to have confidence in what they're doing to have fun. So an easy answer for that is to teach the basics. And I'm not just talking passing form. I want to teach the flow of the game. So that's going to involve a lot of game-like drills. High-intensity games allow players to have fun because they're staying engaged in the play. I think a lot of new coaches make this mistake. You come in thinking that coaching volleyball is all about teaching how to perform basic skills, but it's so much more than that. I'd rather have a team that maybe doesn't have perfect form, but they can keep a rally going. So in the beginning, let the rally go, even if it's a little bit messy, and then clean it up and tweak as you progress. Also, I would require that your team celebrates pretty much everything. <laughs> if they do this long enough, even if they think it's stupid, even if you can tell when you say, okay, you have to give high fives after every play, whether you guys got the point, didn't get the point, you have to give high fives. There will be at least one or two players who think it's stupid and they'll try to make fun of it and bring everyone down and it's easy to get discouraged at that point, but keep requiring it. They have to give high fives. If they're doing it for long enough, it's going to become a habit and they're not going to think it's stupid anymore. And they're going to think, how is it that we didn't do this before? <laughs> Fun fact, I'll try and include the link if I can find it again, but you probably heard me talk about this study before if you've listened to this podcast for a while or if you read my articles on getthepancake.com. There was a study done that showed that teams who give high fives early on in the beginning of the season outperform teams by the end of the season. So even if you are at a similar level or maybe even a little bit better than other teams, if you're not giving high fives, your team is going to get left behind. Sure, they'll probably still progress, but bring the team together, giving high fives, supporting each other, that's going to build a better environment. So that's the being around friends part that I talked about um, motivating players. So 
Specifically, the question was to talk, to encourage each other, and to play hard. You can only play hard if you know what you're doing, so we got to build confidence by teaching those basic skills, understanding how the game flows. Encourage each other, force it at first, and then it will naturally progress from there. And then to talk, I think, is a combination of those two. So I don't know what to say if I don't know what I'm doing on the court, so I need to understand how the game flows. And then I'm not going to want to talk to my teammates unless we're actually getting along. And then the more that the talking is increased, the harder they'll play. So it all builds on creating a fun environment that promotes learning how the game flows in a friendly environment. All right, the next question that I got was, how can I get a school to give me a shot at coaching if I've never coached before? This is like the entry-level job postings that say that they require five years of experience to get in the door. I feel like that's kind of what coaching is morphing into because as more and more of us fall in love with volleyball, there's more coaches with more experience who are taking these coaching positions. And that's great. You know, we need coaches to stay coaching um, because then they carry experience forward and it's a better experience for the players in my opinion. However, if you've never coached before and you want to coach, I know that it is hard to get your foot in the door, but you have to be willing to take any coaching opportunity that comes your way and make sure that people know that you want to coach. Oftentimes just telling someone that you're looking to coach volleyball, maybe someone in their circle coaches at a high school seven miles away and they'll talk to them and get an introduction for you. And maybe they're looking for a JV coach that's not posted anywhere, but just through word of mouth, you can get your foot in the door. Personally, my first coaching job came because I was watching my old high school. I was 20 at the time, turning 21. I was watching my old high school, told the coaches, you know, I'm in the area. I'd love to coach if you guys need any help. And then I found out about a club that had just started and someone there was looking for an assistant coach. So I was able to get my start, again, just by talking to people, letting them know I wanted to coach, and then being willing to take anything that came my way. Again, it's probably easier to start somewhere that you played. So maybe your former club, former high school, middle school, somewhere where you are a familiar face and they know that your character is a good fit. If you want to coach volleyball but you haven't played before, as long as you have done your research and you are going to be coaching volleyball at a high level, I don't think you need to play volleyball in order to coach it. I think obviously playing helps. And if you haven't played before, I would recommend jumping in and like going to open gyms and stuff like that before you sign up to coach. But assuming that you are going to be a competent coach and just don't know where to get started, I would say reach out to your local rec program. So that could be YMCA or any other nonprofit youth sports organization and just offer to volunteer because they're pretty much always looking for coaches. So it's not glamorous. You're going to be volunteering or maybe getting paid minimum wage at some rec program for two or three hours a night. You're not doing it for the paycheck. You're doing it for the experience. And once you get that coaching experience, you'll have more credibility when you're applying for school jobs. So if you've never coached before, want to get into coaching, First, start by letting people know that you want to coach, going to places where they would be familiar with you if possible. And then if you are in a new location or haven't 
played or coached before, start with a local rec program. And then even just coaching for a six-week program, eight-week program, that's going to at least give you a bump up in the interview process over people who have never coached before. Good luck. I know if you are listening to this podcast or going to getthepancake.com, I'm sure that you're doing your research and you're getting prepared. As a side note, if you do get an interview to coach volleyball, I have um, not only a podcast episode that does sample interview questions, but I also have it written as an article. So if you want to read through that and kind of prep yourself, get ready for coaching interviews, I'll include a link to that coaching interviews, the ones that I've been interviewed or been the interviewee. It's mostly the same interview questions, but there are a couple of specific questions I think you need to be prepared for. So go and check those out if you are going to be interviewing for a coaching job coming up. Our third question for the day, how to help a coach when you're a parent? Coaches, can we just point out for a second that parents are not our enemy? I'm so thrilled that a parent was able to submit this question and I'm sharing it both for volleyball parents and volleyball coaches because I think it's important for us as coaches to know that we do have parents out there or other family members that want to help us, but maybe they're not sure what to do, not sure how to reach out. And so that's what I'm going to cover in this question. Okay, for starters, parents, (laughs) I want you to be aware that as soon as games are over, tournaments are over, practice is over, oftentimes coaches are going to try to disappear. (laughs) I'm sorry, I know that's coming across as negative, but let me explain. We love talking about volleyball. We really do. And honestly, I enjoy talking to parents. Coaches, don't ignore them. They're people too. And if you talk to them, you're going to build a relationship with them. So I don't know what the issue is. But... A lot of times, parents, I know this is the only chance you really get to come and talk to us. However, when practice ends at 9 o'clock at night on a Wednesday, a lot of us coaches are coaching in addition to having a full-time job. And so I still haven't gotten groceries for the week and I need to cook dinner tonight. So I'm trying to get out of practice as fast as possible because I need to run to the grocery store got to cook dinner and I've got to get up early to be at my nine to five job. So if you see us hiding from you, please don't take it personally. (laughs) It's not that we don't want to talk to you. We just want to get out of the building and take care of some real life things other than volleyball. So if you are interested in helping out a coach, parents and family members, what I would suggest you do is just send the coach a short email. It doesn't need to be paragraphs long explaining how you want to help. Just say, hey coach, like I want to help out as much as I can this season. Here's a few ways that I would be willing to help. Let me know if any of these sound good to you. I'm happy to discuss if you have time. So coaches, when <laughs> whenever we see an email from a parent, we automatically panic because we do get emails about playing time and tryouts weren't fair and a lot of times the conversation unfortunately is negative when it comes from a parent. So that's why I would recommend doing an email or a text just because when you approach us we automatically like freeze up and get defensive and unfortunately that happens because we do get confronted a lot more often than we would like. So that's why just send an email. Also if you have a newer volleyball coach they might not know how to use you to help them. So what you can do is offer a few suggestions. For example, some parents are willing to host a team bonding night at their home. A lot of times we coaches don't have 
the time or energy to organize a team bonding night in addition to everything else that we're trying to do. So if you say, I want to have the girls over for pizza and to decorate t-shirts, I was thinking next Friday night of having the girls all come over and do a sleepover. Obviously don't (laughs) offer this unless you actually want to do it, but you could do that, have some other parents come over and kind of maybe help run a spaghetti night or something. Honestly, team bonding is usually what our teams need. And if you can offer a team bonding outing, like take all the girls bowling, you don't have to pay for it, but organize it. That would be a great way to help. Also, if you want to offer to bring snacks to matches or help organize a fundraiser. If you have the desire to do any of those things, just let your coach know. And I'm sure they would be happy to delegate once they get a chance. But honestly, parents, the best thing that you can do is just don't judge our decisions and be on our side when you're talking to other parents. You don't even have to be on our side. Just be indifferent or be supportive of what we're doing. Keep an open mind. Usually, once there's a parent who starts saying nasty things or negative things, maybe they don't like the playing time that their daughter's getting, now they're going to start questioning everything that the coach is doing. They're going to say, oh, why is she running this lineup? Why does he sub her out before she goes back to serve? She's got a killer topspin. And usually these are the parents that maybe have never coached before or don't understand volleyball, or maybe they just don't understand the culture of the team even. So if someone's coming up to you and you're a parent of another player on the team, obviously you want to be respectful, but sort of dismissive of these comments. If you want to support the team, be like, oh, well, I'm sure that there's a reason that she's subbing her out. You know, just being supportive of the coach and being on the coach's side or even being indifferent if you're not happy with how things are going just understand that we have a reason for why we are doing what we're doing our intentions are always to put the best team on the court and have success for our program there's never anything malicious um coaching with good intentions so just help us out by being on our side that's I think the number one way you can help out. And then if you want to put together some sort of a team bonding activity, that would be very helpful for team chemistry as well. All right, the next question that I got is, what is your suggestion on a healthy praise to criticism ratio? So the first thing I want to talk about when I'm answering this question is, let's change the word criticism into critique criticism in my mind I would think that that's just saying like hey why aren't you passing you're not passing very good (laughs) when we change it to critique we change it so that we're offering some instruction and teaching in some way so I'm going to change it to praise to critique ratio and just to make it simple I'm going to say to offer all praise all the time (laughs) Um, what I mean by that is that we're always being positive That's my personality. If that's not your personality, though, don't force it. If you are not a bubbly person or smiling and joking with your team all the time, don't try and do that just because I'm saying that you need to stay positive. Over time, I have developed a certain way that I speak with my players that is um, mainly focused on the positive. So an example of that, let's say that my setter is learning how to jump set. This is pretty complicated for younger setters to continue working on their form, which isn't perfect. And now you're adding a jump in there and that's going to be ugly. And never mind that they don't even have control over where the ball is going because they're so focused on when to jump. So you often hear to do the sandwich method, which is praise, critique, praise. 
but I like to do it a little bit differently. I like to do praise, critique, praise, summary, critique, summary. So let's say that I'm working with a setter and her jump set is maybe the ball goes to the right spot, but she was a little bit early, so the jump set wasn't actually correct. I'm going to say, Bella, that was perfect placement on your jump set. It went exactly where we wanted it to go. You were a little early though, so let's just wait half a second before you jump on this next set. Again, great placement, but just wait half a second. I like this method because you're saying something that they did well and you're, you know, you're opening them up for feedback by telling them what they did correctly. And then you can explain, this is why what you're doing is incorrect and here's how we're going to fix it. And then you summarize by saying, again, great placement, but let's wait a half a second. That way they can be like, okay, I did a good job, but here's what I need to fix. I don't think there's necessarily a ratio that you have to follow. Always try and be positive with what you're saying and always try and be specific. So again, using jump setting as an example, don't say that was a good set. Say, wow, that set went to the perfect spot or wow, your timing on that set was perfect. Or even your footwork is getting a lot better, nice job. It doesn't have to be that they're performing the entire skill correctly but always point out what they're doing well, even if it's small, because then it's like, okay, well, I'm doing something right. And then they're more willing to make mistakes because they know that they're at least doing something okay. <laughs> That's my answer for that question. Change criticism to critique because we are instructing. We're never just saying like, hey, you're doing this bad. And then just everything that you say, keep it positive. I think some coaches are worried about like giving too much praise, you know, like the everybody gets a trophy mindset, but there's nothing wrong with saying positive things to your players if they're doing things well. Like they're always going to be doing something right. It's not like you're printing them out a certificate for every pass that they make to target. So don't worry about being too positive. I don't think that that can happen. All right, we've got two more questions to get through in today's podcast episode. This next question I really like because it's an opinion and I don't think my opinion is very popular, but we'll see what you guys think. So the question is, how do you feel about player A saying player B's name when she thinks it's their ball? So I'm going to be honest. I prefer that. I don't coach it, however, because there are so many other coaches that I run into that are against it. But in my mind, it's just so much easier. Like if you're back in serve receive and let's say the ball's coming into the seam. Now the correct, I'm doing air quotes here. The correct way to handle that is that ahead of time, you already discussed who gets the seam or the ball in between the two players. And that way we know that the person on the right is going to take that ball. That's fine in theory, but in practice, if I'm the person in middle, and there's a person off to the left of me, and let's say I'm the one that's getting the seam. If the ball is going towards the seam, I'm going to move to the ball with a lot more confidence if that left back player is saying, Whitney, 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 because I know it's mine, but I'm still mentally worried that she's going to run into me, especially with younger teams. That person's letting me know that she's not getting it. I know I do this all the time. I'll say, you, you, you. I know a lot of coaches do not like that because they say like, I know what ball is mine, like you don't have to tell me and everyone like gets an attitude about it. <laughs> but I mean, we're promoting players to always be talking. Why is it that that's something that we discourage? I don't understand because I think it helps. Now, it only works, however, if players know what their actual responsibilities are on the court and they understand whose ball is whose, plus 
if they make a mistake, they need to be willing to own it. If I'm standing next to Haley on my right and I say, Haley, 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 and the ball drops in front of me, but I look at her like, I said you should get it, that's not okay because it's clearly coming into your space. If that's the case, I need to say like, wow, that was my ball. I'm sorry I misread it. I'll get that one next time. So your players need to have a certain level of maturity before they can start communicating in that way. A lot of coaches don't like it, so I don't teach it. But I'd be really interested. Actually, I'm going to post on Instagram stories today. So if you want to vote on whether you think players should call each other's names when they think it's their ball, go on to Instagram and get the pancake and vote in my story because I want to know if if my opinion of this is just from my own experience or if that applies broadly to all the other coaches out there. All right, and the last question that was submitted through Instagram stories that I'm going to be addressing on the podcast is, I've never coached before, but I've played. I'm now head varsity coach at a big high school. Tips? Well, obviously, as a varsity head coach at a big school, your main goal is to go out there and win. <laughs> That's all you got to do. It's pretty simple, right? Just go out and win. Um, but the way that you do that, in my opinion, is through building a culture that fosters growth and support. And I think aside from running high-intensity game-like practices, you also need to work on building a culture that fosters growth and support. So as an example, having your varsity go and cheer on the freshmen and then the freshmen come and watch varsity and cheer for them. And it's not something like that they're required to do. They actually want to be there cheering. Another thing that I think just all school coaches in general need to work on is minimizing drama in their team. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges to coaching school ball versus club. In club volleyball, people don't usually go to school together. There's not a lot of problems, maybe until the end of the season when they get to know each other. But in school, everyone is bringing baggage from the day into practice and everyone knows each other's business. And that's when you get drama. So making sure that you're enforcing rules, you talk to your team about expected behavior at practice and outside of practice. And if there are issues, identify them early and just take care of them. You know, have team meetings, talk through issues, because in my mind, drama is one of the things that can really tear down a school program. So for coaches who have never coached before, but have played, that's actually why I wrote my book. It's called Coaching Volleyball, A Survival Guide for Your First Season. So I'm going to suggest that you check that out. I do have a chapter that I read through the podcast. I'll include a link to that episode. I read chapter four, the beginning of your season. I'd recommend listening to that and seeing if a book which has that kind of information is something that you would be interested in. In addition to my book, I can also recommend the Volleyball Coaching Bible. I have volume one. There's a second volume out there that I haven't read yet, but I'm sure it would also be great reading material. But I have a review of the Volleyball Coaching Bible. I'll link to that in the description. I think that's worth reading because they do talk about building a program and you might want to check that out. But overall, as far as playing goes, I think spending more time like working out the kinks in your rotation is going to be more beneficial than trying to do a lot of strength and conditioning and building up better players. The school season is so short. And especially if you're at a big school, you probably have a lot of people who play club 
club, in my opinion, is the time where players go and develop their skills and become better. And high school is where you kind of just show off all the work that you did over the last season and over the summer. So just try and make your team like a well-oiled machine. So lots of game-like drills, lots of high intensity, you know, figure out what's working and build from there. Obviously, you're not going to ignore skill building entirely, but the majority of the season should be on making sure that your rotation runs smoothly and doing a lot of situational prep. So that's my advice. I'm going to post a link to this podcast episode in the Volleyball Coaches Corner closed Facebook group. That's through Get the Pancake. So if you want to join that group, I'll include a link to that as well. And if you guys want to have a discussion, I would definitely encourage that whether you agree with anything that I talked about, disagree, have further questions. Let's do that in the Facebook group. That way we can have a conversation about the questions addressed in this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate each and every single one of you, and I hope to have you back for next week's episode.